Hi guys, welcome back to the channel for another video. I am incredibly excited to bring you today's video. Very, very honored to be chatting to our guest today. I just finished up chatting with the one and only Carolyn Coston over Zoom. It is literally converting the file right now so I can get this edited and put up for you this week. Carolyn is an absolute giant in the field of eating disorder treatment. I will put all of her links in the description box below, but particularly all the links to the Carolyn Coston Institute, which is the certification that I hold as a coach. Carolyn is the entire reason why I am a coach. She is a big reason why I am fully recovered. I didn't know that being fully recovered was possible until I came across Carolyn's incredible work and the immense contribution she's made to so many people's lives in their own recoveries. So I hope that if you have any curiosity about coaching, if you want to know a bit more about coaching, the history of coaching, how it fits into treatment, if you personally would like to become a coach, this is the video for you. Or if you just want to benefit from some of uh, Carolyn's incredible wisdom, please uh, stick around for this video and uh, like I said all the relevant links will be in the description box below an enormous thank you to Carolyn for her time for joining us for this great chat I hope you guys get a lot out of what we talked about let me know in the comments below your thoughts and uh, yeah just hope that you enjoy it so Carolyn thank you so much for being on the channel with me today to talk about coaching I am personally so grateful to you to take time to explain sort of the history of coaching the purpose of coaching uh, probably the best place to jump off is if we were to explain what coaching is to somebody who has sort of no awareness that coaching even exists how would you describe uh, what what recovery coaching is I think the best way to start is think about a coach in any other um, kind of activity for example when you think of a someone who wants to be a better runner, they want to learn how to, you know, maybe they want to go out for, you know, some kind of sporting event or whatever. And the coach is actually knows what they're doing. They have an amount of training in this particular area and they're right there with the person helping them do it. They can, you know, help set some guidelines and things like that, but it's not a lot of talking about the whys, why do you want to do this or, you know, why, why did you get in trouble when you tried to do this? Coaching is really a hands-on with the here and now. Mm. So the reason recovery coaching is so different is because traditionally, um, you know, therapists and dietitians uh, and, and physicians are in their offices and they're treating people and doing the best job they can, but they can't go out there in the field, so to speak, with all their clients and go to restaurants and go to the gym with them or be on a, even a video conference and have meals with them when they're struggling or be called, you know, at all hours or texted during the day or, or even in the middle of the night. So coaching is really, I think the fine line that that's good to draw is that uh, a treatment team is, is really important to work on many things and develop a treatment plan and nutrition plan or whatever. But the coach is the person who helps the client or, or the patient, if you will, enact those things in, in real time. Mm. Yeah, I always try to explain it to people as the action stage of recovery. So it's yeah. kind of the now and the looking forward. Uh, because it, even when I was going through my eating disorder, I would, you know, I'd leave a session with my psychologist with so much more knowledge and really invigorated. 
but then I'd have to get home and eat dinner. And it was, how do I do this? (laughs) I understand more, but how do I actually put that into practice? And I would have, in hindsight, having a coach would have made an enormous amount of difference even to me personally, you can see that contrast when you start working with people and this momentum starts happening, which is always amazing to see. Uh, So why did you come up with the concept of coaching? What from obviously your expertise and, and so many years in this field, what could you see as a gap that needed to be filled? How did you kind of identify the need for coaching? Well, it's interesting because I sort of, even though I'm licensed as a therapist, I've always acted like a coach. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got licensed in 1979. Oh my God. <laughs> and, but what I did even back then, and it's because of my own recovery, I would have clients bring meals to the sessions and I would have meals with them. And, you know, I would do things like, let's have a challenge where we're going to eat a chocolate chip cookie. I was always doing things with clients that are considered kind of coaching things. And when I opened my first hospital program, this was before there were any residential programs, um, I hired people, I didn't call them coaches at the time, but in retrospect, they were coaches. I realized what was happening in hospital programs is, you know, we were taking people in and doing things like, you know, treating them and having them go down to the cafeteria and get their food, but they weren't going into kitchens. They weren't going to grocery stores. They weren't having to buy food. Living normal life, integrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hired people and I called them um, support recovery counselors and I had them work with people when they discharged from the hospital. So then fast forward to when I opened Montanito, which is the very first residential treatment program in the United States and maybe everywhere. Uh, I don't, I don't know where there was another one, but I realized that's what we were doing with people. We were actually helping them because the way I ran residential treatment was a system where people would get increased responsibility to be able to do those things. Go in the kitchen, you know, do more exercise on their own, go out to restaurants. Um, but by the time you left Montanito, you were buying, you know, shopping, buying, cooking about seven meals a week for yourself so that I knew you knew how to do that when you went home. So after I sold Montanito, I was wondering, you know, what am I going to do? And well, I should say after I left as clinical director, I was wondering, and a few people started talking about coaching and I looked around and I realized that there were life coaches and sober coaches and all this, but there were no training programs for eating disorder coaching. And although people wanted to do it, uh, I felt like it's kind of inappropriate to do it unless you have some good training because this is not easy work. No. It's not. And you, the great point that you raise about sober coaching in the sobriety field, this has been a thing for a long time and it's been proven to be so effective because we need to provide people a bit more guidance. We see, you know, those rates of relapse of people coming out of uh, facilities and then there's no integration back into life. So having people recover into a bubble and then throwing them back into sort of all of their triggers and they haven't learned 
learned how to live life and recover. And that's what recovery is. It's, it's being able to manage your anxieties and your stresses without turning to your eating disorder. And if they haven't built up that, uh, that resilience, then we're just going to see this constant revolving door of people returning to treatment for sure. Yeah, you know, I think people, um, the people in the field, in the eating disorder field, I think professionals were kind of worried, concerned, rightly so. They still are about coaches, partly because, uh, look, you don't have to be recovered to, to be an eating disorder coach. But I would say about 95%, 92% of the people who come to the Carolyn Coston Institute to be trained are recovered and they want to help. They want to give back and they know they need training to do it. Um, but I think people were worried about that because, well, what if they're not really well or what if they relapse or, you know, where is the training? And so I think now that people are seeing, I mean, luckily I had a long history, a career, uh, ran hospital and residential programs. So I feel a little blessed that when people say, oh, you were trained at the Carolyn Coston Institute, it gives it a little more credence. Absolutely. Which has been nice. Um, but I also think it just is, is those concerns are important and they have to be listened to. Uh, I think people were afraid that people who, re who were recovered, it's interesting. One of the things they said was, people who are recovered are going to go too easy on the clients maybe and let them get away with stuff. I, I don't find that to be no. true. <laughs> I think we're, if you're recovered, you're better able to call BS on a lot of the stuff that they say and do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's turned out to be true. Um, but I do think you have to make sure that people don't start talking about how bad they were or how many laxatives they took. Or mm -hmm. So you do have to be trained where best to use and how best to use your lived experience. But in the end, I think it's going to be a game changer. I Absolutely. really do. And, you know, having gone through the Carolyn Coston course, it is such a great sounding board, but it, it also just gives you, and I've said this to you before, it gives you this immense confidence because it is such a detailed course. And obviously with your supervision and all of your feedback, and I don't think people realize how, hands-on you are and that there is this direct line of feedback coming from you and the yeah. vision component is completely overseen by you as far as the feedback you're receiving so to then go out as a coach uh you're not sort of navigating it uh totally without any clue about oh you know i'll just see how i go there's some very very clear guidelines and very very clear instruction that you've been given about what your role is and what it isn't and when that's explained to treatment teams, I mean, I've been very lucky. I've only ever had incredibly enthusiastic, almost relieved responses from treatment that's teams. Great. Oh, that's so oh, great. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're on the end of the phone with this client and the feedback. I think I told you I had a, a psychologist uh, who recently told a client, uh, if anybody tells you to stop working with your coach, maybe don't work with them because this is a really essential part of your treatment. Wow. Uh, and that was really, really affirming. And I, I'm seeing more and more of that. And yeah, probably relief is the dominant response that I've had. So, That's so good to hear. Yeah. I mean, I think people were worried, professionals and uh, some other professionals were worried that maybe coaching would usurp their job a little bit and that they weren't, you know, the people needed 
the therapy and they needed the other stuff. And, and so we try to be really clear that this is an adjunct to um, all the traditional treatments, you know? It, it's something that's not, not being offered. And it, it is, it's filling in a gap, that's for sure. And what you said about the course, you know, I, I mean, my name was on it. So uh, to me, I want, <laughs> people always say, it's way harder than I thought it was gonna be, way more rigorous. <laughs> yeah, yes. But, but they feel like it was worth it. And oh, yeah. I think, and I think you're right. If you look at a lot of coaching, um, online coaching things, they don't have the kind of hands-on supervision. So for people who don't know, I mean, I, I, as you know, I listen to all the tapes and you, you, don't, you don't become certified unless you do an internship where you're willing to see people at, for free. At, you, you volunteer your time. And I'm on the on the other end, you know, I listen to all the tapes and I make suggestions and, uh, and try to help create the best coaches I can. Yeah. And it, like I said, it does, it gives you that real sense of security knowing you kind of have this. And, and obviously there's the continuing education, which I think is an important thing to note is that you're not sort of just like sent out into the wild west, that there is this yeah. continuing, you know, yeah. uh, uh, collaboration with CCI as a coach and that there's a really beautiful network there and there's a Facebook page. And, you know, I've, I've connected with a number of, of coaches like Millie Thomas and Meg McCabe, and we have this nice kind of colleague relationship and we touch base and we share ideas and, and sort of uh, share each other's uh, wins and where we're getting stuck, which is really wonderful. Uh, But it also gives you a lot of confidence in that, I, I don't want to be a therapist. I don't want to step into the therapy role or the dietitian role. And it helps me to navigate those relationships yeah. and to help the client to even manage their relationships with their treatment team and where to direct uh, their different needs and, and who can kind of help them. And I've seen a huge change in that uh, treatment teams are so grateful to have you there making everybody connect. I really don't think that is something, I mean, it's something you've talked about that treatment teams need to be talking to each other. And it's really something that uh, coaches can help facilitate to be kind of the one who brings everyone together to collaborate, doesn't drive it, but certainly gets the communication. I have noticed that it's very interesting. And I, I noticed that when traveling around Australia, what, what I considered the lack of communication between treatment teams, I I don't want to get myself in trouble, but I did (laughs) notice that. And since I, hammered into the coaches about getting release of information and you don't do this or that without talking to the therapist or talking to the dietitian you know they are the ones asking for it so it's interesting i'm glad to hear what you're saying about how how it's being received i have a lot of australian coaches well i'm in fact today uh, not an australian coach but a coach who heard your podcast who's in portugal who oh, wow. is now becoming she just signed up uh and i saw her video today to be a how fantastic yeah isn't that interesting this community is very small it really is (laughs) i know i I also think what the coaching thing does and you sort of implied this the 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 course and the book using the eight keys book Mm -hmm. gives people a structure yes so there's so many things in there that help structure like that eight keys book I was even reluctant to write it because I thought a self-help book for eating disorders. But when, when you have a coach, 
who's going through it with you or saying, do this assignment and bring it back to me. I mean, therapists can do that too. And dietitians can do that too, but they have a lot of work cut out for them. So I think it's great that coaches can, and, and they can share all that stuff with the therapist and dietitian. But I think that provides a really nice structure for, um, assignments and for and kind of helping the client here's where we're going you know yes absolutely and that sense of actually doing something practical that they are working on something and then it's that sense of purpose within recovery where they sort of say you know i can talk about it all day long but i actually want to be able to put some of this stuff into practice and to see my tangible uh progress and they can see it's sort of like uh journaling as well i I ask them to go back and repeat assignments particularly the day in my life when i'm recovered because as their healthy self emerges more and more and their healthy self values start to surface we go back and we compare those and it's it's just so clear how much they've how much they've progressed and how much they've grown um so why do you think it is important because i know that there is that uh uh, condition to sign up as a coach particularly if you have an eating disorder history that you need to be fully recovered for a minimum of two years why was that sort of a stipulation for you in uh providing the course why do you think it's so important to have that minimum i think for one thing i think that it's really difficult to call yourself recovered, like, oh, today I'm recovered. <laughs> so let's just yeah. start with that. Yeah. So when people say I'm recovered, what does that really mean? So what I, and this comes from experience. This comes from 40 years where I ran hospital programs. I had a lot of staff. A lot of people sought me out because they knew I openly discussed my own recovery. So they came and and wanted jobs with me because they wanted to work in a place like that. Um, so I've learned. I learned over the years. It was. It was. Uh, I didn't have a lot of uh, um, of problems with. In fact, I can only remember two staff in 22 years of running Montanito that I had any problem with because because of this rule and the and. W- sort of where I got it was, okay, going back to what I said about being recovered. I think when you have an eating disorder, you don't get it on one day and you're not recovered on one day. Yeah. So what I like people to do is think, have I had two years where I meet this criteria? And, uh, you know, it's kind of long. I'll put it up. I'll edit it in. I'll just pop a little tile up. <laughs> okay. That's good. Because I knew I had to have some criteria, but, you know, it's about that that weight and shape and the number on the scale and all that take a proper perspective in your life. And you no longer use food or exercise to deal with, you know, cope with or distract from problems. So it's, it's, I like the definition, but I think people have to meet it for a while because you don't know in your life when you're going to run into stressors. So let's say you say, Oh, I think I've been recovered for a couple months. Well, what if a major thing happens in your life? What if you have a breakup with your boyfriend? What if you have, um, you know, you fail a test or get in a car crash or, or COVID happens, you know? And, and so 2020. <laughs> or 2020 happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think for me, it's like, I really think people, if they can go two years where they feel like, things have come their way, come and gone. I feel like they're pretty solid. Mm. The other thing is, I don't think it's good for the 
for the clients, but to have a coach who's um, not solid, whatever, but I don't think it's good for the coach. I think that a coach, and you know, because you do the work, when you start working with people, it's not always fun and glamour. It's not always the person, oh, I'm so happy, thank you so much. When they gain weight, when you sit with them after they've eaten and you help uh, prevent them from purging, mm -hmm. um, they're uncomfortable, it's painful. You, you can go through some things where I don't want coaches to be triggered. I don't want coaches to have put their own health or recovery in jeopardy. So to me, I think it's really important that you're recovered and that you've been that way for two years. And recovered, you know, the reason I don't like recovering or recovery is that that comes from the addiction world and it sort of goes back to the, you know, like, with Alcoholics Anonymous and let's say, you know, people who have chemical dependency, uh, you know, the, the thinking was, this is an addiction you have for the rest of your life and you can never have alcohol because you're an alcoholic. Well, I always thought that was weird about food. Mm -hmm. I, I think there are addictive components to the behaviors and eating disorders, but I don't think it's a true addiction. I don't think we're addicted to food. But we can so get addicted to certain behaviors like binging, for example, but that treatment's kind of different. So I just thought that I don't want people to think I'm recovering one day at a time or I'm in recovery. I think there's a place, and I have thought this for many, many years now, where you're past it, you're recovered. It's not something you have to deal with. And, you know, it's not something that you, you um, have to face a day at a time you know yeah absolutely and i think it's i think it's even powerful to keep people in a safe space because i know from my own experience that i was about three years in and i'd always been told i had fantastic treatment they saved my life they changed my life but i was told sort of the you're always in remission party line and i got to three years and i was working as hard on you know the three year in date as I had been on day one and I was burnt out. I was absolutely exhausted because I believe that's what it would take for the rest of my life. And it actually almost led to totally collapsing. And then that was when I came across your work and this concept and it made sense to me. And I thought, gosh, I've probably been, you know, just expending energy for an additional 12 months that I didn't need to. And I could kind of, I sort of say I settled into my recovery and sort of gave that trust over to my healthy self to say, all right, we've done the work and now it's your turn to show that you can take care of this stuff. And I think if we send the message that you're going to have this intense focus on recovery, I just don't know how much people are capable of maintaining that long term. And I don't yeah, think it's very appealing either. <laughs> yeah, I do. I think people have come to me feeling exhausted, just like you said. They have come to me feeling like, really, I'm going to have to deal with this for the rest of my life? And I just don't think that's true. Now, now, by the way, there are some people, not just because I say this doesn't mean everybody becomes recovered. I'm not someone who, I'm realistic. I've treated people who have not made it. I've treated people who still are struggling. Mm -hmm. I know that some people, and some people don't have the kind of, you know, access to care and treatment as other people do. So I, I, I certainly understand that not everybody's going to be recovered, but I think everybody has the potential. And I certainly think that uh, 
and I've seen, you know, like I said, I've done this for so long. I've seen thousands of people now who I know who are recovered. And so I think people just can't say that to me anymore, that that's not, that it's not possible. Mm -hmm. And if you take it off the table, it's definitely not possible. It's a 100%, you know, guarantee that you won't get there if it's not at least on the map for you to walk towards. Uh, if you, if you don't know the destinations, they're going to get time to walking. <laughs> yeah, I don't want people to settle for less if they don't have to, you know? Yeah. Like I think about people like Millie who she was given, you know, this feedback to, you know, stop trying. And that's, I loved the podcast that I did with her and I send it to people all the time when they say, I'm the exception and it's no, you're not the exception. And we, you yeah. don't have to commit. You don't have to say it'll absolutely happen. I'm just asking you to keep it as a possibility just in the background. Yeah, um, that's exactly right. Cause I know so many people today who are recovered, who came to me and said, Oh, I was told I was just going to have to manage my illness, yeah. you know? Yeah. Same thing. Even people who've had it for years, you know, people in their people in their fifties who've had an eating disorder for 30 years or more mm -hmm. who are recovered today. So I never give up on anybody, anybody who walks through my door. I always say, you know, if I could be recovered, you can too. And let's go for it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and if they say, I don't want to, well, then you say, okay, let's start there. What are the reasons you don't want to? And a lot of times the reasons are because they think it's going to be too hard because they don't think they have it in them, you know, because they think they don't have the resources to go to treatment. I didn't go to treatment. You yeah, know what I mean? Either. I didn't even have a therapist. So, you know, I, when sometimes people, I think it cross when they hear me say, if I did it, you could too, because these days, you know, we all have to be conscientious about people, conscientious about people who don't have the kind of access to care that, mm -hmm. um, that other people do. But I tell people, I, I, I used to not say it because I didn't want people to think, oh, I don't have to go to treatment. But I want people to know that I didn't have money. So I couldn't afford a therapist. I, and back then, who would I go to anyway? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They didn't even have language for this stuff, really. Yeah. Or treatment programs. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? And uh, so I, I didn't uh, have that access to care. And still, because I started dealing with the fact that I knew the battle, I, I knew at some point in my life, the battle is in my head. I'm having this fight in my head. I wouldn't tell anybody else to do to themselves what I'm doing to myself. So why am I telling me? Mm -hmm. It was still a long, hard battle. It took about seven years to get better. Uh, and I think if I had had treatment, I, you know, who knows? Well, it could have gone either way. If I had had treatment, it might've been better, but sometimes people have treatment that isn't a good match for them yes. and they feel completely resistant and it makes it harder. Mm -hmm. So could have gone either way, but that's what I do love about this approach is that I often have people who come to me and they've sort of been in a treatment uh, setting where it's been a bit more combative. It's been more, you know, treatment versus person. And this takes the onus totally off uh, sort of me as the person providing coaching in terms of I'm going to tell you if they say yeah. they don't want to do something, it's, oh, I can't make you do anything because this is between you and you. And I'm here to provide the framework yeah. and facilitate right skills to help you get there but this is me and your healthy self talking to eating disorder self it's not me versus you so when you want to talk about it or do it I'm here but I can't make you do anything that you don't want to do which 
is really important because when you get into a power struggle with somebody with an eating disorder, what I feel, if that power struggle continues, then they're going to win. Yeah. And, and the goal is not to make their eating disorder self stronger by getting, by fighting you and getting stronger. It's, it's to, as you said, find that healthy core self in there, which everybody has one. And we know because they bring it out for other people all the yeah. time and strengthen it. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think coaching is, is such a, as you said earlier, particularly a recovered coach, because you can break through that so quickly. Like I can hear in a second who's talking to me and trying to make the session about something else. And it's like, great, let's park that. We'll give eating disorder self all its questions at the end of the session. But right now we're gonna go through the work that we were meant to be doing this week because it tries to monopolize as much time. And then it's like, oh, well, we didn't get to do any actual recovery work. So yeah, you can kind of, I consider myself bilingual. I can kind of speak eating disorder and I can speak healthy self and talk over the fence. It is really interesting how I can do that too, even though my eating disorder was way over 45 some years ago. Yeah. I, it's weird that I can uh, still think like that, talk mm -hmm. like that. Well, I guess I've had practice in helping others too, but it is interesting um, because we know what that's like, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we, and, and I think that's, I, what I'm really, really glad about is that recovered people are getting their place in the treatment spectrum. Mm -hmm. Because I think people with lived experience for a long time have had something to offer, but nobody's quite known how to use them because of this thing about, will they just go off the rails? Or, yeah. you know, will they talk too much about uh, and, and be in competition or yes. will they, or will they relapse, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, this is, we're just saying now that, that those fears are really not, they're just not coming to fruition and that there's just so, too much to benefit from it. We've got to utilize it. Um, so how do you, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think it might happen. You might have a recovery coach who, you know, ends up relapsing, but you have that now with therapists yeah. anyway, or dietitians and people who don't, because they are not trained, they don't know how to use it best because mm -hmm. they, they were afraid to say they were recovered. So I think it's worse. Yes, absolutely. They don't have those parameters to work in. So how are you seeing, we've kind of covered a little bit, but how are you seeing that recovery coaching is changing or contributing to the treatment landscape? What's the feedback that you're getting sort of overseeing from coaches and treatment perspective what are you noticing about how it's changing the treatment landscape? Well, I haven't had anybody call me up and say coaching was bad and it didn't work. <laughs> I just thought of that just You're now. Back. <laughs> it's so interesting. I've had a lot of thank yous, you know, from therapists who, or dietitians who contact me back again saying I have another client and they need somebody now. Um, do you have somebody I... I certainly have heard from clients because I still get, um, even though coaches don't work for me, I just do the training. Mm -hmm. And then coaches are out there doing the work. I'm willing to supervise any coach who has an issue or a client or they feel stuck can always send me an email. I always try to help out. Mm -hmm. um, but they work on their own. So I don't get a ton of feedback, but I get clients who contact me and say i'm looking for a coach and i thought you might help me and instead of just referring him to the website i often try to find a little bit uh, about them and make a good match and i often hear people saying 
you know, this has been the missing link. Basically, this has been the part that I really needed help with because I could talk to my therapist and it's not that people haven't helped me. It's just that then when I went to the restaurant and sat down in front of the pizza, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So with a coach there by my side, eating the pizza with me. And by the way, that's what we did in residential treatment. I had the therapist not just come in and do sessions. The therapist had to have meals with clients. When I ran Montanito, the therapist had to sit down and have meals so that the, the, the someone who was trained in that way was sitting there having the meal and helping the person through the meal. And, and, uh, and I had to train all those therapists to be coaches because they came to me as therapists. No one had trained them how to sit down and have a meal with someone with anorexia, you know, or bulimia or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm, the feedback that I get as well as this is, you know, as, as we've already touched on, it's not, it's not uh, supplementary, it's complementary. And it's the fact that it's, yeah, it's this last piece that's been missing for people uh, and the different ways you can work with people with, you know, psychologist and a coach or psychologist and dietitian and a coach. Um, are there ever any contexts in which a coach can work directly with a client without a treatment team? Obviously, it's preferred that they're part of, you know, either a psychologist. Yeah, that's a good team. question. Puts me on a, a, a tricky territory, but I will say there are a few. What I tell coaches is if you want to do it, please contact me and let me help you make this decision. Because in cases where somebody's really medically unstable or compromised, they shouldn't do it. And, and, and I know some coaches have done it. I can't advise it because what happens if something happens to that person? But what I do say is if, you, if you're going to see somebody who okay, let's take a case, an older person who's been in many, many treatment programs, many therapists has pretty much given up, um, not compromised medically where she needs to be in a treatment program, but just, you know, has the diagnosis of anorexia nervosa. That in itself will tell you is somewhat, you know, not, not the epitome of health. But mm -hmm. if someone wants to do it, one of the things that I say is, you have to try to make sure that they've exhausted their resources for the other um, the rest of the team and they have to have a physician yes. so that you have a physician seeing the client, a physician making sure that the client is medically stable, a physician who's in dialogue with you. And your goal would be hopefully to try to get that person to trust enough to see a therapist again. But on occasion, I have helped someone to do that to to a good to a good end result by the way um another example would be um a case where a, a client in india and they had no no one around where they were who knew anything or had been trained in eating disorders they had a physician um but they wanted this person to live in and help them and what we ultimately did is we got them to come to the U.S. and have their daughter go to treatment for a period of time. But then when she went back, there was going to be no help, no transition. So a coach actually met her and the family before they went home and then flew to India and wow. lived there in an adjacent place for a few months, helping with the transition. Another example would be someone who's really young, uh, who is does not have a, a diagnosable eating disorder yet, but is kind of on the cusp. 
and the parents had been told, you better watch this, your kid looks like they're developing an eating disorder, and have the coach come in and try to head it off at the pass. So try to help the family, help with meals and meal supervision and things like that. And so maybe the person doesn't have to go to a treatment mm -hmm. center. And all of those we have had some success with so far. And I realized that it could get out of hand and I realized a bunch of places might start. There are a couple of places who say they train coaches, but it's like a two week program or something. And as you know, it takes about six months mm -hmm. to a year or a year and a half to do the CCI program. Mm -hmm. So it has to be pretty sophisticated training or I would not ever even say what I just said about making these exceptions. Mm, absolutely. Um, so if we had people who are watching, which I'm sure they, they will, because I get so many questions about coaching. If somebody was watching this and considering becoming a coach, what would be the number one thing that you would want them to know about CCI, about the course, about being a coach? What, what would you, what, what message would you want to get across to somebody who has an interest in becoming a coach? I think they really have to ask themselves why they want to do it. And if they are willing to put in some good effort to get training, I think a few people have signed up for the course thinking it was going to be, you know, a couple of weekends or, or even a, a you know, a couple months. A couple it's of not. multiple choice tests and then a certificate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think they have to know that they're going to have a supervision. They're going to have to see clients and I'm going to be listening to those tapes, but I'm very nice. I'm a yes. good. Yes. I, I really think I help people be their best self. I, I've been training therapists for so long. So I think they need to do that. Um, I also think they need to, like what we talked about, uh, consider the, the, the whole thing about being recovered because mm -hmm. I have had a couple people start the program and start learning so much and be overwhelmed and feel like, I don't think I'm really recovered myself, the task mm -hmm. that you're asking me to do and all that. And which is fine. They were honest about it and said, I think I need to wait. Um, you know, you have to be good with people. You have to like all kinds of people because mm -hmm. you're not just going to be a coach and be able to get this client you design, you know, yes. <laughs> uh, that it's, uh, it's go at your own pace, which is nice. It's all online, which is nice. Um, uh, what, what else? What didn't I answer? I think, I think that covers it. And I probably if I can throw my two cents in as a coach, just how fulfilling it is and how, yeah, you just have this sense of, of purpose. And I think you touched on it earlier, this sense of giving back, but also paying it forward that you've benefited from other people's lived experience and their, their lessons and what they've been generous enough to share. To, so to sort of contribute to that momentum is, is incredibly rewarding for something that, almost took so much or did take so much from us to then kind of take even more from the eating disorder by spreading what's possible to so many people is yeah it's yeah. quite fulfilling I think the other thing I would say is you know I wasn't sure how this was going to go mm -hmm. I wasn't sure how Montanito was going to go when I opened it but I saw a gap and a need and I thought I'm just pursuing the truth and the truth about this one is I know clients need that. I know I would have needed that and benefited from that. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to say that the coaches 
are out there and they're getting work and they are making a living with this. So I think people might say, you know, oh, it's expensive. It's about $4,800 to take this course, but that's a whole year. You get uh, a lot for it. You get yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. Take a little more time. <laughs> supervision piece at, at my hourly fee. I mean, people just to have that, but I don't want to uh, sound all uh, bragging, but I, I think that it is different than people might think of yeah. the course. And they, they learn a lot about themselves. And, um, you know, I, we have this whole scenario. I'll say this. We have this whole scenario before you even begin seeing clients where I throw out these scenarios that I know that are real. They're not made up. They've happened. I have enough years experience that some of the things sound far-fetched, but you know, for example, the one where I say you're with a client in the restaurant and you're there, you're eating a burrito with them and they drop half of it on the floor. What, what, what do you do? Yeah. You know, or the client uh, looks at your body and says, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be as big as you or yes. all kinds of things that I challenge you in the coaching course and help you if you go, yeah, I don't know what I would say to that. Mm -hmm. I prepare you, I help you, give you scenarios, because before you even start seeing clients in the supervision piece, I want to know that you are prepared for the kinds of things that people with eating disorders throw out, you know? And it does come up. It, it, these things absolutely do. They're real world situations where without it, I've had a couple of situations, particularly, you know, as it relates to, and ones that hit you out of left field uh, about, you know, well, things like, well, what do you eat? Well, can I see, can you show me what you eat every week? And how do you, how do you manage that if you haven't already sort of considered that that's going to come out at some point? So yeah, the, the preparation. With that because, you know, as a therapist, I was always taught, you know, the, because I went to school ages ago, you know, <laughs> blank slate, you don't self-disclose. Yeah. So of course the typical therapeutic the the older therapeutic response it's changing nowadays is to basically say well that has nothing nothing to do with you what i eat is what i eat we're talking about you well i didn't even train therapists that way i mean basically to me when and 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 let's just skip from therapists but but um so so i answered clients questions and i teach coaches look you are a role model. That's one of the things we say. Your hands-on experience, how can you get in the trenches with somebody and, and eat pizza with them? And then you won't even ask, ask, answer a question about what you ate for breakfast. So mm -hmm. it's funny that you brought that one up because a lot of coaches think that the answer I want is, you know, we're talking about you and what right. I ate doesn't matter. And I always say to the coach, tell them what you ate. It's good for them to hear, yeah. you know? And then you get into why is that of interest of you to you? It's like here, well, this is what I ate, but yeah. like it doesn't mean what? you have to eat that. But that's right. I did, and the only time that that's a problem is let's say you ran out of the house, you were late, you happened to not have breakfast that day. I mean, it happens. We're not perfect. Then you have to. I I I I teach people now. What do you do? So you say things like, "Look, I don't think." any one day make makes any difference in what I tell you. Let me tell you 
the kinds of things I have for breakfast yeah. today, yesterday, this week, and I'll give you a variety of things that I have and see if any of those sound interesting to you or what do you think of that? Mm -hmm. I always try to get people to tell the truth, but I not, not where it might harm a client. So I don't want someone to say, oh, I didn't have anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and I don't want them to sound defensive. So yeah. I try to provide people with answers that make sense, that are useful for the client. And as you know, in the training, you don't bring out things unless the client has a, a need for it, unless they yes. present for it, they ask for it, it's their diagnosis. Like you don't talk about your own laxative abuse with a client who's never abused laxatives. Mm -hmm. There's no reason. Mm -hmm. You would only bring that up if you have a client saying they think their bowels will never work properly, they don't think people ever really can get off laxatives, and if you have, then you can share that's not true because I have. You don't have to go into details about how many you had or, yeah. you know, so, and that's what the training is. That, yeah. that's, it's kind of practical, don't you think? In Absolutely. It's here's your lived experience. Here's the knowledge we can give you and here's how to use it appropriately and effectively. It's like I said to clients all the time. It's not about whether you're doing it well or badly or right or wrong. It's, is it effective? And that's what coaching is. And so much of the course is it's be an effective coach. It's not just about, yeah, going deep into your lived experience, but how can your lived experience help this person specifically meet that client where they are? One bit of your experience will help one person and another will help another. So yeah, it's building up the skills to do that effectively. I hope that, that before I leave this planet, I hope that we're at a point where therapists and dietitians and treatment centers are saying, oh, please send, send another coach over, you know, oh, yeah. I have a client who, that they really see it and welcome it and see it as, like you're saying, some of the people that you're working with see it. I have a few like that, yeah. but I think it's just the beginning. And, you totally. know, I didn't, I didn't really know how this was going to go, but now we have around 57 coaches in about eight countries. So that's pretty exciting. And Australia has so many. Australia. We need them. We need them. I've, and, you know, touching on that again, I have had a couple of psychology practices who have booked me in to do like half day workshops with them, consultations about practical recovery methods and how to work with coaches. So there's even this curiosity from that perspective and, and, you know, with psychologists saying, you know, we're, we're open to looking at different approaches. So, you know, yeah. they've got to be flexible and curious. Um, but I, I definitely think in Australia, particularly because as you know, you know, treatment over here can be so hard for people to access that coaching has such potential to revolutionize treatment here. Yeah. We don't have to have as many people in inpatient facilities if they have this level of support. So all around, it benefits everybody, financially, logistically, treatment-wise. It just has so much potential. Yeah. Well, you're help making it, uh, putting it on the map because I've had not just that one client I told you about, but a few who have decided to come and take the coaching course because they heard about it from your your YouTube stuff. Oh, so fantastic. keep it up. You're... you're, you're you're I haven't even, honestly, I haven't even done anything. This is the most specific thing because obviously I wanted to talk to you about it and I've spoken to Millie yeah. about it a little bit, but I just make throwaway references to it in my uh, videos. Like this is what I work on with a client and suddenly there's this influx of emails because yeah. again, that just shows 
the yeah. need for it, that people hear a bit of, oh, I've never done that before. That would help me. And there's this big sort of right. response to it. So yeah, I, I can't wait to see the future of it and how it all, how it all unfolds. And I hope this brings some more coaches uh, to CCI because there is certainly, as far as I've seen, there's no accreditation that really compares and anybody considering doing it, please get in touch and, and sign up because yeah, you won't regret it. You get an awful lot for your time that you dedicate to the course. Thank you for saying that. And I'm just so happy you're out there doing the work that you're doing. I'm so grateful to you to give me the opportunity to do it. I didn't know coaching was a thing and it was through Butterfly and I went, oh, that's, that's it. That's what I've been looking for. So I'm incredibly, and thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. I love talking about it as you can tell. So <laughs> great. thank you so much, Carolyn.